Good morning. Well, as you heard from Sarah earlier, this week's VBS theme was adventure. And I don't know if you know this, but Sarah and her team write all of their own curriculum. A lot of times VBS comes in kind of a box set, but the reason that they do that is because they're really committed to making sure that they can connect our kids with the, the grand story of God. And one of the grand stories is that life is an adventure. Sometimes that adventure is hard and challenging. Sometimes it's really exciting. But regardless of where we are in that adventure, God is present. And so I was thinking about the fact that, gosh, even in my own life, when I'm, when I'm having an adventure, when I'm thinking about those adventures, oftentimes they connect me with God. And one of those times that I was remembering back two years ago, and I'm a graduate of Azusa Pacific University. Any APU people? Zero? Oh. Oh, over here, woo! Oh, yeah, that's right, you just got your master's. Um, anyway, <laughs> squirrel. Uh, I graduated from Azusa Pacific University, and, when I, and I was a resident advisor. And part of being a resident advisor meant that we got to go on a week-long kind of backpacking adventure. And the first thing we did when we got there is we went rock climbing. And I found this, I actually, I love the outdoors, I love a challenge, but rock climbing was hard for me. I, I mean, it was scary thinking about kind of ascending this, this large rock. And I was attached to this rope and I knew that the person up there was holding on to me. I could see him or her looking down. And I would climb up a little bit and then I'd get all sweaty and then I'd get frustrated because I couldn't reach the next rock. And then I'd have to go down and kind of maneuver over. But eventually, I got up to the top, and I was feeling really good about myself. And then the guide looked at me and said, okay, now it's time to go down, <laughs> which was horrifying because I could no longer look at the guide. I had to back myself up, and at one point, if you've, if you've had some down a rock, you actually have to step off the cliff and lean backwards and trust that that rope is holding on to you and all you can see is the sky above you. And then you start walking back down. It was this amazing experience of learning about myself, also learning about God and learning about truths of Him. Well, we're actually in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is found in the Old Testament. If you are visiting, if you're new to the Christian faith, or you're kind of trying to check out what this is all about, there are actually Bibles in the seats in front of you, and the Old Testament's the first part of the Bible, and if you open your Bible up, Psalms are almost smack dab in the middle. And the Psalms are, they're poems, they're songs, they're, they're beautiful because they do two things. They conjure up human emotion, and then they also point to human intellect. And the reason that that is important to kind of balance between the two is that it taps into the reality of what it's like to be a human, but it grounds us in the reality of who God is. This series is actually called the, uh, we're calling it the Songs for the Road, the Psalms, Psalms of Ascent, and the Psalms of Ascent are a portion of the Psalms. They're at like 120 to 128, 9, somewhere in there. And the Psalms of Ascent are the tale of a group of people, a group of Israelites, who are journeying to um, Jerusalem, and they are going because they're going to worship God. And you can imagine if we were walking together and we are walking through the mountains of Colorado, that as you start to walk together, you're having conversations. 
That's what the Psalms of Ascent are. That's the image they want you to have. In fact, when, we, when, we, um, when Addie just read Psalm 125, which is the one we're going to talk about today, those were all images of Colorado because I really want you to think about, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of those journeyers because I want us to journey together today and I want us to explore Psalm 125. But before we do that, I want to pause for just a minute and pray for us this morning. God, you are a good God, and I love your creativity and the way that you use your people to write your word in a way that we can connect, God, not only with our emotions, but with our minds. God, I pray this morning as we unwrap Psalm 125 together that you would help us to experience both of those pieces of our holistic selves. Help us to tap into the emotions that we're feeling as co-journeyers walking towards you, and God, help us to also connect that with the reality of who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So, again, we're co-journeyers. We're walking together. And as we're walking together, we're, uh, this psalm today actually piggybacks a little bit off of Nick's last week. So how many of you were here last week? How many of you were depressed? No? Oh, come on, more of you than that. It was hard and really honest and really good. Nick preached a really good sermon, so if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen because it was hard, but it was a good kind of hard. So it's almost like we're camping. We, uh, yesterday we had this hard conversation about the reality of life being hard, and we woke up this morning, and now we're, now we're walking to the mountains again. And this is how our psalm starts out. Those who trust in God are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. You know, there are two things, there are two similes that the, the psalmist is using here. Both have to do with mountains. The first is the image of Mount Zion. And the image of Mount Zion, uh, Mount Zion in the Psalms and in of, oftentimes in the Old Testament, um, oftentimes with, the, with uh, the prophets that are writing, Mount Zion is, is equated to Jerusalem. And it's also the place that God is uh, considered to dwell. So here they are, we're, here we are, we're walking along, we're walking towards Long's Peak here, and we're reflecting on the fact that when we trust in God, that that trust is, is like Mount Zion, that we can rely on it, that we can be confident in it, that we can be stable in it, because it was there yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that's the first simile that the author's giving us. The second one compares the Lord himself to the mountains that surround Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting. So Mount Zion, geographically, Mount Zion is in the middle of this mountain range. So Mount Zion, the place that we're walking together, um, it is about 70 feet lower than the other mountains around it. So while we know that our faith in God is secure, God himself, the mountains around it, is even more secure. It's we know that God can be trusted. And so we're, we're journeying together and we're, we're praising God. We're reflecting. We're saying we know we can trust him because he's good and he's stable. And because he's stable, our faith in him is stable. Uh, the, we're, he, but here's what happens. We're, here we are. We're reflecting on this. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like we're walking and we see the beauty. And then we start stumbling a little bit. And maybe we've gotten a little bit scraped up. 
because the psalm takes a turn in verses 3 and 4. Here's what they say. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Okay, this is a total shift. We just shifted from talking about how much, how amazing God is to talking about how hard things are. Let me point out a couple things that tell, tell us that this is the hard part of the passage. The scepter of the wicked. Here, um, as the Israelites, they had been given their land that God had promised them. In fact, that's the land that we're journeying through right now. We're walking together, we're going up to, the mountain, to Mount Zion, and we're in the land that God has given us, but somebody had taken it away, and it's our enemies. Not only did they take away our land, but they're oppressing us. They've changed things um, politically, they've changed things socially, we don't have enough food, we're, there's a great injustice going on, and, and we're pretty mad about it because it's not right. It's our land. God has given it to us. So that's this part of the scepter of the wicked um, will remain over the land of the, allotted to the righteous. And then there's this second part that talks about the righteous might use their hands to do evil. As we're walking and we're recognizing that our enemies are oppressing us, some of us are tempted to actually step over and hang out with the enemies because we think that that might actually be an easier path than continuing to walk with God but feeling oppressed. We're not sure that, that aligning with those, the very ones who are oppressing us, which would mean, by the way, that we would then oppress our brothers and sisters, we're not sure that that's not actually the easier road to take. There's some sort of human uh, nature in all of this. We all tend to find ways that if we're in trouble, we all tend to find ways to try to get out of it. I was thinking back to when my two older boys, who are now 21 and 20, Cole and Brennan, when they were four and two, they uh, decided to get into markers that they weren't supposed to be using anyway, and drew all over their bodies. And so I come out ready to give a consequence, and Cole, the older one, says, but mom, we just were drawing crosses because we love Jesus so much. <laughs> we do whatever we can to try to get out of trouble. That's because life can be chaotic and hard with hardship and pain, and that can lead us to respond out of desperation. That's what's happening in this part of the psalm. So we have this total contrast. We have this, things are really good. We're looking at the mountains. They're beautiful. It's sunny. We love it. We do this in Colorado, right? Ah, it's so beautiful. And then we swing all of a sudden. We're like, life is hard, and we're oppressed, and I'm not sure that I can hold on to my faith because out of desperation, it might be easier to align with my enemies than to continue to follow God. And then the psalmist does something that I think is brilliant. He or she points out, that we all have a choice to make. We have a choice to make as to which way we're gonna to respond to God. There are two paths we can take. It's find, found in um, verses four through five. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. We have two choices. We can respond as, as those who do good, those who are upright in heart. Now let me clarify, this is not about doing good works. There is, there is much more to dig into about what it means to be upright in heart, and we'll talk about that in a minute. 
But it's this idea that th this is when we are committed to God, we're following him, we're continuing to do his ways. We know that life is hard, but we're all in. We're just going to continue to keep following him. The other side, this whole um, turning to crooked ways, that's the idea of we're not sure. Our faith is wavering. We're not sure it wouldn't be easier to just kind of put God on the shelf and to default to doing things our own way. Now, they do associate crooked ways with um, banishing with the evildoers, but what I want you to know is that when we're walking that path of crooked ways, which, by the way, we all do, it's not that that is an un, um, unforgiven distance from God. It's a choice that we make. It's that we're either following God and facing Him, or we're turning our backs on God and we're doing things our own way. It's the idea that there's, instead of two paths converged and I took the one less followed, it's not that these are two separate paths, it's that the two, they're paths, but they're, they're so intertwined that we can't even separate them. Because if you think about it, as humans, we all, there are ups and downs of life. There are times that we may feel like we are all in and we're following God, and it could be within an hour, it could be within five minutes, where we're like, I don't know that I trust him. So this is the tension that the psalmist is talking about. There's this back and forth, I, you know, I, I'm invested in God, I believe in Him, I'm doubting God, life is hard, I have to make a choice, I might be going back and forth between the two choices. I would argue that the two choices actually come down to what we decide to put our trust in. I want to talk a little bit about the Hebrew word for trust. It's betach, and it means to rely on something or someone, or to trust. What's fascinating to me, as I was studying this this last couple of weeks, is that oftentimes that word betach, and let me do a little side note, whenever we're talking about Hebrew words, that is the, that's the language of the Old Testament. When we're talking about Greek words, that's the language of the New Testament. So betach, when you're looking um, throughout the Psalms and other parts in the Old Testament, oftentimes that word is used to talk about the negative of trust. It's, it's giving examples of things that we put our trust in that aren't beneficial to us. It's, uh, it's the idea that sometimes we actually settle on things that we think are stable, but they're actually really dangerous for us. Let me tell you some of the places I found examples of this as I was reading this week. People um, put their false security in riches and wealth, in their houses or, or homes or property, in national security, in other people. A lot of times we put our false security in ourselves. And that can be around our beauty, our intellect, our strength, and our righteousness. Sometimes people put their trust in idols. And sometimes people put their trust in the temple, which honestly would be the equivalent of the church. When the church becomes a substitute for God, we're putting our trust in the wrong thing. The issue is that when, when the Israelites, or when we, or when anyone 
who are followers of God, or even those who aren't followers of God, put our trust in things that are other than God, it's this false security. We think that it's gonna work out, but what ends up happening is that we're disappointed and life doesn't go well. It's that crooked path. So we've gotta figure out another way to do things. In contrast to this crooked path, in contrast to putting our things in, uh, in false security, the community of God can actually put their trust in God himself. This is our image again of God surrounding us, God surrounding his people. And if we think of Psalm 25, there's a number of words that come up that actually reflect that this kind of trust is worthy of, of uh, our giving. We, uh, those who trust in God are described as refreshed, protected, surrounded by good things, and those who trust in God will not fail. For us, just like the Israelites, there's this, there's this question of trust. What are we gonna trust in? Are we gonna trust in the things of the world, or are we gonna trust in God? As I was wrestling, as I was praying through this, as I was applying it to my own life, I realized that one of the reasons that trusting God is so hard at times is because we have a misconstrued idea of who God is. The number one reason that people don't follow God, that people who are examining Christianity decide not to follow God is because they don't know how to resolve the question of why do bad things happen to good people if God is a good God? Why is there evil in the world? This ties back to Nick's sermon last week. Why do people get cancer? Why do people get, have disabilities? Why do marriages break up? Why, are people who, why do people who desire to be in relationship feel so lonely? How do we answer the question of a God who is a good God but allows evil and suffering to happen? There are a number of times in my life that I've had to wrestle with this, with this question. Why would God allow my five-year-old cousin to die of brain cancer? Why would God feel so distant in the darkest parts of my life? Why would God seem, seemingly remove himself when I'm calling out to him in desperation? These are real questions, and they're honest questions, and they're good questions, and they're not questions to be avoided. I know it is vulnerable to ask these questions, but I just want you to know that that's what we're called to do. That's part of the Psalms. There are so many Psalms of lament because those who wrote the Psalms knew that these are the realities of life. We live, we reign, we live under a God who reigns, but we live in a world that is broken. And we have to have a place to ask the hard questions. That it's okay to ask the hard questions. There are a couple places that, um, that we have that we want to offer to be able to wrestle through those questions. I think part of the hardest thing is when, in my life, when I've been wrestling with that and I don't know who to talk to, and then I just, it's like I, um, I withdraw. 
or I start to feel this shame cycle like, gosh, I shouldn't be asking these questions. So I wanna give you two resources that we have. If these are questions that you're wrestling with, especially this question of how can God be good and allow evil in the world, two places I wanna give you. If you are um, exploring Christianity, if you are not sure that God is real, if you're trying to figure out this whole faith thing, um, we actually have a course that's called Alpha, and it's a place where it's safe to ask those hard questions alongside other people that are asking hard questions. We actually have an Alpha course that's kicking off tomorrow at Blue Spruce Brewery, and it's free, and just want to throw that out there. If you're here this morning and you're, this question is hitting something in you, and this is the big question that's kind of keeping you from God, just want to invite you to join us for that. Second opportunity. The reason people love Alpha is because, one of the reasons people love Alpha is because we can ask the hard questions. But it's for people that are exploring Christianity. And there are a lot of us in here who want to ask the hard questions and wrestle with it, but we're not exploring Christianity. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. It's still okay to ask the hard questions. So I want to encourage you, if you're wrestling through this, if there's something hard in your life, if you're trying to figure out how to reconcile a good God with the junk and the hard and the dark that's happening in your life, we have a lot of pastoral staff that loves to take you out for a free coffee and just walk this path with you. So if you are interested in either of those, I just want to encourage you to stop by our info table just outside the doors after church, and we will get you connected with either one of those. But I, I just, we need to have the freedom to talk about this question. It's the biggest question of life. As you saw in that Barna report, number one thing, number one question that people are asking that don't know Jesus. All right, so that's the first thing. That's the first skewed image of God is that we're trying to figure out what do we do with this God that allows evil in the world. The second thing that comes up is that not only do we wrestle with that question, but we have this image of God that he is an older white gentleman who sits on a throne in some distant place and he shakes his finger at us and is waiting for us to mess up and tell us that we're doing things wrong. And for some reason he always sits on the right. I don't know, but that's where he sits. If you start reading over and over and over again, this is, the, this is the first image people think of when they think of God. So all of a sudden then, you're wrestling with this question of, well, why does evil happen in the world? And then you're, you're experiencing this kind of God, and all of a sudden you feel like that God is pointing his finger saying, well, you're not supposed to ask that question. Well, you're bad for asking that. Well, bad things happen to you because you did something wrong, but I'm not gonna tell you what that is. Who in the world would want to follow that God? I want you to know that that is not the God that I want to follow. If that's the God that you don't like, I want you to know that I don't like him either. But I also want you to know that that's not God. So who is God? If that's the false image of God, if we've got this false image of this punishing, pointing finger God, who, who is he? Well, the true God has two different elements of him. He has these human attributes, and then he has these divine attributes. These human attributes, the thing I love about the human attributes is that we can relate to them because they're attributes that, that he gave us. We share them. In fact, a lot of times, um, some of these attributes we can recognize in Jesus himself. So when God sent his son Jesus, you know, God in person, 
These are, we, we witness these human attributes. The problem is, is that we take these human attributes and we attach them to each other, and then we take what we attach to each other and we attach them to God. Now think about how messed up that is, because we mess up with each other all the time. So if we think that us messing up with each other equates God's human attributes, it's gonna feel like God messes up all the time. Here's some examples. We don't think that we can believe God is personal because we feel lonely around our friends, our family members, our coworkers, anybody that we come in contact with, our spouses. We can't believe God is faithful because we had a parent that abandoned us, or a spouse that left, or a friend that said they didn't want to have anything to do with us anymore, or we lost a job that we had been invested in for years. We can't believe that God is loving because love has been used as a weapon to manipulate us into unhealthy experiences. But those aren't the true characteristics of God's human attributes. God is personal. He's not distant. He can be known intimately. And he knows us intimately. God is faithful, and he's true to his covenant promise. Just like in the Old Testament, when God made a covenant promise to the Israelites, and he continued to be faithful to his people even when his people weren't faithful to him. When we call out to God, when we call out to Jesus, when we ask him into our lives, we make a covenant promise to him, and even when we take this path where we're turning our back on him, he does not change. He is faithful to us no matter what. The true God is loving. He's loving in his goodness, he's loving in his mercy, he's loving in his faithfulness. And when we experience him in ways where he's the punishing God, if we can think for a minute about whether we would ever treat our own child or someone else's child with that same level of judgment, and our answer is no, there is no way that that's attached to God. God is a loving, compassionate God. He can't help but be that. That's his very nature. Not only does God have these human attributes that we can connect with, but he also has these divine attributes. Divine attributes are things that only God can possess. We can't have them. They're just part of God being God of the universe. And we see these show up in Psalm 125. The first is that he's eternal. He was, he is, and he is to come. The psalm says it this way, he surrounds his people now and forevermore. He's eternal. Second thing is that God is changeless. Nothing outside of God can change him. Your anger towards him can't change him. By the way, nor will it pull his love away from you. Evil cannot change God. Circumstances cannot change God. As the psalmist says, 
the scepter of the wicked will not remain. What I love about that part of the psalm is that even though the people of Israel are walking through this, this place, they're walking through this land that is rightfully theirs, it's been taken away, the scepter is the oppression that's happening to them. But God in his changelessness says, well, I, that is not going to remain because guess what? God wins. Spoiler alert, God wins. He already won when Jesus came and conquered death. He actually won a long time ago. He's been in control the whole time. He is changeless. And then the third one, God is sovereign. All things are under his control. The psalm says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Everything is under his oversight. This is the God that we can put our trust in. We don't want to put our trust in this false God. Because, it, it, A, it's not real. And B, who wants to follow that judging person on the throne? So I think Psalm 125 invites us to reflect on this journey. And I don't know if you caught all the images we used when we were, um, when Addie was reading the psalm this morning. Those are all images of Colorado. Because I think that we have a gift in front of us. Those Rocky Mountains right there. Just like the Israelites, they, they had this imagery. Every time they were walking towards Mount Zion for this tradition, they were reminded of God's goodness. And here's the beauty. We're walking together with arms locked. So if I'm walking and I'm like, and I'm saying, ah, I don't know that God is good. Like, life is hard. And I am, I feel like I'm in darkness. Well, you're, you've got your arm linked with me and you can say, yeah, but remember, I know, I know it's hard. And you're right, it's hard, but it's not the end of the story. Because we serve a good God and he surrounds his people, and our faith in him is stable. And then we may keep walking up, and you may say, I don't know, I just can't do this anymore. I'm thinking about just dropping this whole faith thing because I don't like this God that we're talking about. And I could say, no, I get it. I know I've been there. But remember, we serve this good God who wins. And this pain and this suffering that we're feeling right now will not last forever. The truth is, is that we serve a God who created the universe. And out of his love, he gave humans choice. And with choice, oftentimes, comes choices to turn away from God, which is where sin and hardship and darkness enters the world. But he loves us so much that he sent himself in human form as his son to pay the price for, to conquer death. And not only did that, in that moment, did Jesus come as king and establish his kingdom, but he promises to return again to restore all things back to himself. God wins. That's the beauty of this psalm. So here's what I want to make sure you walk away with. While life can be chaotic and hard, God's character is good and can be trusted as a stable refuge. Amen? Amen. I want to pray Psalm 125 over you again. We're going to put the images up again. I'm going to read it a little bit more slowly. And I just want you to engage with it. I want you to engage with your heart. Where are you today? Are you on the path of 
of righteousness, of uprightness? Are you on the path of crooked ways? It's not a good bad. It's just a recognition of where you are. Where are you today? And then where is God in that space for you? When he feels distant to us, that's not the reality of his existence. He is always close. He's always surrounding us. So where is your head and the reality of God, and how's it connecting with your heart? Let me read our psalm for us. Those who trust in God are like, Mount, are, are like the Zion mountain. Nothing can move it. A rock-solid mountain you can always depend on. Mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles his people. Always has and always will. The fist of the wicked will never violate what is due the righteous, provoking wrongful violence. Be good to your good people, God, to those whose hearts are right. God will round up the backsliders, corral them with the incorrigibles. Peace over Israel, because God wins. The word of the Lord.